thank you for tuning in to the Let's Unpack That podcast. I am your host, Lyle Barrens. Thank you very much for giving me your ear. Thank you for joining us. I truly appreciate it. I hope you had a good weekend. Let me start off by saying, please, if you haven't, subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen on some other shit. Now, Now that that's out the way... This episode is going to be fun because I make a conscious effort to, if I do a kind of more heavy, serious, I'm clearly venting a lot of bullshit podcasts. I try to follow it up with something fun and something light. Today, we are going to unpack GOAT criteria. Yes, this is a very uh, regular uh, barbershop nigga conversation, but we unpack it. That's what makes a shit different, nigga. Ah. <laughs> That's why Anchor pays me the big bucks. Anchor. But so anyway, so we're going to have fun with this shit. And by the way, what I am saying is not based on my favorites or, or, or uh, you know, bias. This is because ba- one thing I think I do very well when it comes to art and people is I do think I am. I- I'm not a biased guy. And if you think otherwise, say something to me, because I'm sure it'll be fucking hysterical. Having said that, we're going to unpack GOAT criteria. NBA, stand-up comedy, rap music. Let's go. You know me, man. I like to get the obvious shit out the way, so let's do it. MJ or LeBron? Here's how I determine... GOAT status, not even me, but how I think one should go about it, is what matters to you, the results or how somebody got the results. Bill Russell has more rings than fingers and played in a time it was only 14 teams, but you're still playing 82 games. They knew the scouting reports front to back, but it's probably also difficult to stay motivated on some sort of a level because you're playing the same guys like night in and night out. And there was no G League or overseas guys coming in. Like, and the postseason was only three rounds. So that is a very, very, you know, tedious league. So I think Bill, Wilt, Kareem, and guys like that should be in their own category in GOAT conversations. I don't think, like, you should put them up against, you know, your Jordans or your LeBrons, your Kobe's, and so forth. Like, shoes were not as good. Like them Converse, do them high, them Converse did not look comfortable to play in. Nutrition was not as good. Science hotels were not as good. You had six foot nine guys riding coach on airplanes. They weren't flying private then, and airplanes made a lot more noise back then. So even if they did have their own airplanes and and the seats were, were uh, where you could put a seven foot footer or a six foot five guy in there, like the propellers and the jet airplanes of like the fifties and the sixties were fucking noisy. And also, Kareem was a Muslim playing against cokeheads. Like, it was easy for him. So, like, you see how how he got that ring in Milwaukee and some some of the other ones. Especially, like, when watching The Last Dance and how, like, uh, Michael said, like, he uh, was in the hotel room and all them dudes was passing uh, the booger sugar around. And he was just like, I'm going to hightail it out this room. Like, if you're in the gym and you're about to – like, imagine Russell Westbrook. (laughs) Playing against a bunch of like athletic cokeheads, he fucking he averaged a fifty point triple double. 
I mean, like, I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. Like, you you just can't, can't compare it in the same way. So to bring it back to MJ and LeBron, it's what matters to you. I think the one thing a lot of people had with Michael Jordan is we never got to see him post-prime without a deep team. Like, Scotty's a top 25, top 20 all-time player. You know, Dennis Rodman was all defensive team player pretty much every year he played. Two guys besides Scotty, uh, BJ and Horace, were all-stars the year MJ left for baseball. Then you got Tony Kukoc, who's the sixth man of the year. Kerr with the three-point shooting. You know, we saw last dance, so I'm not going to, like, you know, triangle offense you guys to death. But Michael Jordan was on some really, really well-assembled teams. Like, you see why Jerry Krause still got respect because he was moving those pieces around before free agency was what it was now. Guys weren't, you know, on a regular basis being like, oh, let me go sign and play with this guy so I can win. Like, if, you know, GMs were a lot more uh, respected back then. And they did a lot more. But we, but we never, also, we never seen MJ post-championship like post him having rings on a team like the 2018 Cavs or the 2006 Lakers. If Chicago made the trade for Tracy McGrady and uh, Scottie Pippen, it'd be a lot more comparable, you know, one could say. I really do wish Michael Jordan played in 1999-2000. Like, I understand why he left, but damn, it would have been great. Like, I understand why he didn't go to New York. Because the most obvious teams, like if he if he wanted the seventh ring, would have been he goes plays with he go uh plays with Patrick Ewing, Allen, Latrell, New York, or maybe they move him and make room for Jordan, or he goes and plays in um San Antonio or Houston with Hakeem or or Duncan and uh, Robinson, or he plays in uh, L.A. with Shaq and the his heir apparent, but none of that like sounded good. Like, if I'm Michael Jordan, like, I'm not doing that shit. So I get it. Plus, he had more rings than, like, all the other guys people said were great, and people said he was the best. So, like, I see why he didn't play, but damn, I wish he played 99-2000. And with LeBron's finals record and what he did with the 07 Cavs and the 2018 Cavs, people think it's like we want to give him a second-place participation trophy. It's not that but it's what you make do with that matters to a lot of people now. And I think our appreciation for winning in sports has changed because life and society has changed. More people have roommates, more people have student debt, more people work two jobs and still live at home with their parents and grandparents. More people are depressed. More people have a low sexual libido because they live with a bunch of fucking roommates and don't want to hear them moaning or they live with their parents or whatever. So shit has changed. Like more people have to make do with what they got. Bring them back to the NBA. More guys have forced trades. More people have formed super teams or air quote unquote super teams. And guys like LeBron and KD not having rings was almost kind of, especially like in the social media uh, era where people was just like making memes and, and Jordan cry face and all that shit. That shit gets to you. So guys like that are like, fuck it. I got to do what I got to do. Even though, yes, it, uh, what LeBron to Miami and uh, KD to the Warriors is not the same thing. We know that we're not going to unpack that, but that's still being the case. It's like, you're like, it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. So I think the public has more of an appreciation for how you got what you got. 
than simply how many rings do you have? So that's why I think GOAT begins with people. What do you have and how did you get it? What's the story with your greatness? And we love stories. That's why Kobe Bryant was so being like, you know, storytelling. That's, that's my thing. And it is it is pretentious as some of his like post-career, you know, short film uh, interview rollout things had been. It's like Kobe Bryant was right a lot of the time when it came to the world that was around him. He knew a lot about shit around him, even if he was like, you know, a shitty teammate at times. He, he knew what the fuck was going on. So storytelling, that, that's that's a big part of why we appreciate LeBron, like the narrative. You know, Stephen A. S Smith, you know, goes, the narrative. So for me, when it comes to MJ LeBron, for me, Michael is more of a pure hooper. And I think LeBron is more of like a mythical Greek god painting on a museum ceiling that just happens to be playing basketball. People say MJ, and when I say people, I mean LeBron people. MJ didn't go up against great teams, and he did. Even if he wasn't worried about the glove, he did face worthy opponents. I think the issue is MJ, MJ just never went against any winners, with the exception of the Pistons and the Lakers. But Magic and Worthy were banged up by then. Byron Scott, all them. No Kareem was Vlade. Like, it was a different team, you know. LeBron has faced the Spurs, Warriors, and a one-time championship Celtics and, and Pistons teams to get through. Kobe had San Antonio and Boston. Tim Duncan had Lakers, Pistons, and Miami Heat. I think we really needed a Houston and Chicago finals in the 90s. Or we needed to see a 99 Bulls against San Antonio or L.A. Even though that season, even though the 99 season has an asterisk to it for a lot of folk, and some would be like, oh, well, Michael wasn't in shape. Such and such wasn't in shape. You know, it's, we could have used it. And I'll say MJ never played a team in the finals as good as the 08 Celtics, the 2016. I'll just say the, the 2016 to 2018 Warriors. He never played a team as good as that. Or any of the, the prime Spurs teams. He never did. Having said that, that shit's not his fucking fault. So I give MJ the, gro the GOAT crown. Even though if somebody said it's LeBron, I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's LeBron. Like, based on the eye test, Michael Jordan never had a problem with contact. That's kind of what took me a minute to, like, come around to LeBron. Because LeBron didn't get physical until later on in his career. Which I also can't help but imagine contributed to his durability. But also, MJ did the dunk contest. MJ has more all-defensive teams. You know, it's not just the six rings. That helps, but it's, you know. But you can catch me on another day, and I'll say LeBron for what it took for him to get those four rings. And the fact his jersey will be retired with every team he plays for. Unless he holds on until Bronny is drafted and signs like a one-year deal with the Phoenix Suns or the Detroit Pistons, like that type of scenario. And then we look at LeBron in that jersey like we do Shaq as a Celtic or Hakeem Olajuwon in a Raptors jersey. Well, what if the Warriors end up drafting Bronny and that's how we get a 41-year-old LeBron in a Warriors jersey? That'd be fucking crazy. That'd be wild. But there's also, like, that other side of me that's like, yeah, but, like, what LeBron had to go through. And guys, like, I will say, like, guys are more athletic and 
Adam Silver's NBA than they wore in David Stern's NBA. And we can go like, oh, well, you know, the hand-checking. Well, they changed the rules for Michael. Well, it was a lot more physical when Michael played than when LeBron played. Like, you can do all this stuff, but it's not like LeBron doesn't get hits and he doesn't, you know, post up. It's fatal. I mean, so it's like it's about what matters to you. But having said all that, Kobe Bryant is my favorite all-time player. And if somebody says, like, yeah, well, this is why LeBron's better than Kobe, or this is why Michael's better than Kobe, I'm not going to sit up there and, like, debate them. Outside of the fact, like, it's just kind of pointless to me, and I don't have that much stock in it, Kobe is just my favorite. Like, outside of, like, being that I was a kid when he was winning all that shit, it was just – you know what it is? It, it's like a feeling for a high-base high goat on, on, uh, with basketball – is when this guy is in the game, like whether he's on my team or not, like if he's not on my team, am I like kind of fucking worried and the game's close? And if he is on my team, do I feel like, oh, he's going to make this shit happen. It's going to be good. And when Kobe, when Kobe be in the game, like game time, you know, I'd be like, oh, he's clutch. We got this. We got this. We got, and it's not to say LeBron isn't clutch. Like I like LeBron will get it to the right guy. I mean, LeBron would have chased down block is clutch. So like LeBron is clutch, but that that that's how I base uh, my goats on on those criteria, and it's, it's it's what I think other people should base it on. So we're gonna do some rap music and comedy analogies later. So I don't want to spend too much time here. Also, a rap everybody has the same top fives. Different generations might swap in a Wayne Kendrick or maybe Jada if they super about their bars. So I don't want to go on and on about top five. Here's how I judge a goat level. Mount Rushmore rapper. One, body of work. How many albums does the public think is great? And how many do their core fan base think is great? Then influence. It's two types of influence. Artist influence and community influence. Artist influence is Tupac with imagery, the bald head, the tattoos, the bandana, you know, like A&R's being like, yeah, we got to dress you like this. We got to dress you like this. Like, I don't think, well, I think Ja Rule was, but I don't think DMX was necessarily trying to look like Pac. He actually did come out dissing Pac. And then, like, Pac died before, like, you know, he could get wind of it. But I think it was just like, that's the way they was taking pictures. And that was the style. And it's like, oh, let's get this. Let's get this. You know, and then it just ended up looking like that. Then musical influence. 50 Cent doing the half rap melodies, and then everybody did. Bitch, I don't really care. Bitch, you know I'm over there. Then Kanye did it with Chipmunk Soul, and everybody had Chipmunk Soul. And Big Sean and Drake doing like the hashtag super duper flow. I'm really in the building, like the ceiling. Or, <laughs> you know, the hashtag style flow. I, I got some bullshit ass joke about it. But you get where I'm going with this. You know, Young Thug and ASAP basically bringing back that 80s androgynous-like type of style. Then everybody's wearing those skirt shirts. Like, that's artist influence. Then it's public influence. And I don't mean looking like an artist. That's this nigga think he... I was once getting on the train and saw some high school kids. And it was this one black kid with an afro and bandana. And I was like, this nigga think he Metro booming. Nah, man, I'm talking change the way people think. And the two artists that come to mind are Pac and Hove. Tupac in the kind of like, you know, 
Stand up for something. Don't be a sucker. Protect black women. Think of black women. Use Hennessy in my words as a reason to act reckless. Drink Hennessy. Like he, him just kind of more so in the way that some of the thinking caught on. Like any, it's a lot of niggas that do think they pop. Like when uh, Kanye tweeted about Drake or whoever Kanye was off his meds on when he said he run around like he pock. And then that kind of, and then Kevin Durant uh, screenshot that when he was, uh, when Kendrick Perkins was saying some shit about him. And then he, he shared uh, Kanye's, he run around like he pop tweet. Then another guy, like I said, Sean Carter, think smarter, think business, nigga, you're 30, take that Jersey off, put on a button up family first. And it didn't translate with the body of work on the same level, but we saw it through interviews and action via a Nipsey Hustle. The other way I judge Go Rapper is how many different places can I play your music? Like, I understand Eminem not liking Snoop saying Eminem is not in his top five or, or however he said it. Also, shout out Snoop and Anchor. <laughs> like, they're from the Andre Young Mafia family, you know? But at the same time, Eminem can't play in clubs. As boring as Pac, Hove, Big, Wayne, Bing, and everybody's top fives are, you can play them in a lot of different settings. The club, when you're feeling sad with your headphones in and you're just going through it. In the gym with a girl. Or at the very least, like you can make a playlist for that shit, right? Where it's like you could put them in different settings, even if not their obvious, like obviously not their discography. So Pac, Drake, Wayne, Kanye, I get it. I think Wayne has put out so much good, bad, and subpar music. It's kind of hurt him a little bit, along with some, like, minstrel show shit he's been saying, you know, in interviews and stuff. And, like, when Jay on uh, Breathe Easy said, hey, my interviews is hot and nigga, that means something. That's why Nipsey Hussle is a GOAT without being a body of work GOAT. Among other obvious things I don't have to say here. But with being a golden rap, it can't just be music and numbers because we come from a culture where we, where we know it's hard niggas that have never been to prison. It's real niggas that have never sold dope, as Freddie Gibbs said. We know that. And it's got to translate. Like barrier rap, actually, I'm going to say why barrier rap doesn't translate for another episode. But with both like goat shit and rap, that's those those are my criteria for like how you are a Mount Rushmore level goat rapper. And when I say that again, like I said at the top, I don't mean who you a personal fan of. I just mean where you can like look at the stats as you know subjective as music and art is. That's that's how I take it. Another thing with artistic GOAT criteria for me is how you relate to the times. Like Dave Chappelle, because he had like, he was on TV and like a, a working comic and showbiz, obviously, in the 90s. But he did like a, a lot more like kind of surrealist, absurdist type shit. And I don't think that translated well in the 90s. I think what we wanted and what we needed was Chris Rock. We needed it in your face. We needed it loud. Because that's what the 90s was. The 90s was upfront, politically incorrect, in your fucking face. And then I think as like we get we got into George Bush's America, and then 
once again with Donald Trump's America, I think Dave Chappelle, the shit he does was better suited for that. And I, I'm gonna get into Chappelle more later. But then you take somebody like Drake, for example. Let's look at Drake. Drake came out around the same time uh, social media uh, was a lot more evolved, like past MySpace. Drake came out, or like not came out, but he really got hot. He was like really like, oh shit, Drake's on when Tinder is out. A lot more casual hookups. Then all of a sudden, everybody has a girlfriend. Drake's making music for that. Drake's making music for hookup culture. So a guy like Drake can really, really connect with the time. So and I think that's that also is what will kind of make people will make certain people goats is either is either the times because like Dave doesn't sound as good in the 90s, but Dave sounds a lot better, you know, post 9-11. Oh, shit. Recession. You know, Dave Chappelle sounds a lot better, you know, under Donald Trump under this Obama's president and shit's changed, but it's not changed and niggas are getting shot by police and we have phones to film it. So, and I'm not saying like, you know, the times made them and they're not, because obviously they're great even without the times, but I'm saying a lot of that can inform greatness and how we relate to it. So with goat comedians and people are always at, like when they find out you're a comedian, they always ask, that's our favorites. It's really fucking annoying. And also because comedy is so subjective. So it's like, what is this based off of? So for me, and again, like I said at the top, just not being a fan, just like looking at it, looking at it like objectively. For me, I go by body of work and influence when it comes to stand-up comedy. Specials, albums, influence on comics. And influence on the public. And the influence on the public from comedians is not the same level as with rap music, but it is, it's there. Then live performance, because one thing I found is very difficult in comedy is for a great live performance or even a really good one to translate to video. Especially like comics, we knew know that when we're trying to get a clip, a clip to send to Booker's. We're like, damn, but it didn't. Man, it didn't come through the same. I mean, they was fucking, you know, and it's not us being like delusional. It's like, no, like shit doesn't always come through on video. So there's that. Does your great live performance translate to video? Does it translate to audio? And can you do it again and again and again and again? I think Godfrey is a great example of a guy whose comedy translates better live than in a special because you get so much shit with a guy like that. He's like a boxer just working the punching bag, like, buh, 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 like, joke, 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 impression, 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 act out, act out, act out, act out. And I've seen him live like two times or so. And he does a different 90 minutes where, wherever he does a weekend. That's like his legend. He's, and he's easily mastered his craft. I can't fuck with him on stage. He's amazing. I'm not talking shit. I can't fuck with him. He's great. But I think that's why he hasn't caught on the same as a lot of his contemporaries and his guys. When it comes to the live show, he crushes way harder than them fucking easily. Way harder. I mean, Godfrey, like, did kind of start to like it, like, with the with some of the Vlad shit and the, uh, you know, the, the viral impressions, like him doing Steve Harvey. But I think, like, like it definitely 
took some time for people to really, really, you know, get into the brother. So, so that's the reason why body of work is important to me when ranking a comedian's greatness. Because translating that shit is hard. Because this, because comedy really is something that is best when it's really just 200 to 50 people max. Like that is when you just, when you kind of get the best experience. Like comedy isn't good in a fucking football stadium. Here's where Eddie Murphy comes to mind for me. As a comedian, Eddie Murphy and Biggie Smalls to me, just pure body of work really come to mind for me. Eddie has two specials and one very rough around the edges album, the self-titled uh, debut album where he's got the lapel in his ear and, and he's got two iconic specials. Biggie has two iconic albums and like three to four albums worth of just like music. If you want to count the fact life after death was a double disc and, and like the junior mafia shit and Puff's album. And you could tell Puff planned to have him on almost every track to save the album. And then he got stuck with Mace, unfortunately. But Eddie is like a good example of huge influence, raw and delirious, are classics, but his body of work as a stand-up is small. But the influence is bigger than the body of work. End of the day, it does feel kind of silly saying they are like the GOATs, because Eddie did his last special when he, when he was 27. Biggie's last album came out when he was 24. You know, so it's like, well, where are you? But at the same time, it's like, well, that's the influence. Overall, when it comes when it comes to stand-up comedy, I got to go with Dave Chappelle's The Goat. I think Pryor, Cosby, Lenny Bruce, Carlin, Moms Mabley, all them niggas, like, they had a huge influence when it came to the art form. Like, Bird and Magic did for basketball and Dr. J, like, Run DMC, Public Enemy, and Beastie Boys did for hip-hop. But we got better stuff after them. Shit progressed after them. I do think Cosby, Carlin, Pryor, Lenny, Moms Mabley, all them, like I said, among others that, you know, my, my mind's blanking on, were originators. Sam Kennison, they were originators. But I think Chappelle's undeniably that fucking guy for his body of work and influence. Underlying body of work. And I remember it was this time in like 2004 when, when we were going Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, because they both had specials out that year, even though it was clearly Dave's breakout year. 2004 was Jamie Foxx, Kanye, and Dave Chappelle. It, it, 04 was them, without a doubt. Also, this is a thing that isn't valued enough in comedy. It's really not valued enough. It's people changing their voice and delivery for the better. Like with music, we see that all the time. Like a track leaks, we can easily tell what time period it's from. You know what I mean? Like if Kanye's rapping like, ow, oh, you know, I'm not Filipino, but I feel a pay-how. Yeah, just so you can feel a Negro. You'd be like, oh, is that like college dropout era? And then if he's something like, I think I'm the best. I got so much stress. Mr. West, ah, ah, ah. you'd be like, oh, that was from right before you ran for president. Like, you can you can get a good idea of that shit. <laughs> yes, I was doing Kanye's references. Oh my god. I lost my I lost my track. Anyways, 
but yeah, it's like changing your voice. Like I think Dave, like Dave changed his delivery from the nineties to two thousands into present day, and that that's really fucking undervalued. Because how you say the shit matters because the way we speak in society changes. And I don't think Dave is perfect as a comedian. There's been some stuff he said where I'm like, he needs to get off that farm, honey child. And not because I felt like you can't say that, David, but more like you wouldn't say that if. You wouldn't say that if you weren't living around a bunch of white people. You wouldn't say that if you were living on a farm or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just saying I'm not a Dave Chappelle can do, do no wrong guy. That, 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 that's all I'm saying. But so many comics have based their personas on different iterations of Dave's onstage persona. You know, the 04, oh, come on, baby. Come believe it. Come on. You know, the 2012 sitting on a stool, long story with the misdirection punchline at the end, Dave. Then I couldn't believe it. It was that guy. And then, you know, obviously the, the, the Mike thigh taps. I started doing comedy 10 years ago, so I ended up slapping. Because, I fuck, I was doing that. It's like we've all taken from Dave. It's funny. There's this one comic, my guy Brian Moore. And a lot of people see Brian, and they see Dave's. Because, you know, Brian, he kind of already naturally speaks like Dave. And then it's just kind of, if you already kind of naturally sound like a guy, it's easy to play it up, you know, Probably kind of similar for me and like a guy like Patrice. You know, it's like how a lot of people see that influence. It's just easier to tap into that more. But anyways, back back to this shit is that's why for me, I'm like Dave is that fucking guy. Because even throughout his different, even as him growing as an artist, other comedians emulated that shit. That influence, man. I'm telling you that influence. And like he's got different kinds of specials. Kind of like how with TV, watching a show like The Sopranos, for example, like season one of The Sopranos and season five don't even feel like the same show. Season two feels like the perfect bridge for the first for the uh, first season and the third season. And obviously it ends as like, you know, the greatest show ever. But the tones, the way they wrote the characters, the cin cinematography, it changed. You know? If you look at Dave... A lot of his specials don't feel like they're coming from the same comedian, just in terms of the aesthetic. Not in terms of like jokes, personal delivery. It's all him, and it doesn't feel forced. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, he can lean into different stuff. He can do the "I'm at the top of my game." Here's my fucking dick special with like you know, uh, for what it's worth, the, the the one he did in SF when Chappelle show was on. He did the special that didn't hit when it came out, but we went back and got a second, and it got a second life with, um, for what it's worth, the oh chip, like and all that shit. I'm selling weed, nigga, like all that stuff, because that special wasn't big when it came out. Because again, you know, in Bill Clinton's America, I think like again we didn't want you know super silly shit. We wanted more Chris Rock shit. But then I think that shit, because you know, without getting too into like George Bush and like the world, George Bush's America is. I think, again, I think guys, you know, can the the times can inform the artists and how the public relates to it. The Netflix, the, the Netflix specials. And I don't I don't like all of his Netflix specials. Like th there's not one I would say, like, I'm like, oh, I love that. That's fucking uh, ah, I can't get enough of it. You know. 
we see he can do the I'm back on my shit. Here's my dick again special. He did the intimate. I'm going to talk about what's happening this week special. He did the I'm back home to where it all began special. He did the here's just some jokes and silly shit special with the Austin one, which was my least favorite. But it all feels like Dave and it doesn't feel forced. That's why that's why he's the go for me. Chris Rock is a guy that I think realized he can't do specials how he did in the 90s. Because, like, just in general, comedy specials, you know, with the exception of some Kevin Hart shit, they don't feel as loud. You know, that's, like, actually why I think a lot of Kevin Hart specials don't hit for people. Because Kevin Hart, outside of, like, you know, the material not always hitting, just, like, the way it feels is it feels like like football stadium. There's fire spitting out. He's wearing, you know, it's not a suit, but it's like this. he's on his comedic rock star shit. And that's just, that's not what comedy is anymore. Comedy is a lot more related. And this isn't for me to like talk shit about K-Hart, but I think that is like the issue that the public has with a lot of the specials. Anyways, back to what I was talking about. Chris Rock. I think Chris Rock realized he can't do specials how he did in the 90s because, like I said, they're not as loud. Like the first cut of Tambourine, it didn't hit. Also, I haven't seen Total Blackout yet, so I'll, you know, I'll give my opinion on that on Legends. Well, you guys don't give a fuck about my opinion on that. But like Tambourine didn't hit the same as like, you know, Bring the Pain or Never Scared or, or um, Bigger Blacker. And the Kill, and, and the, uh, Kill the Messenger, when he tried to do the global thing, it didn't translate well. And we and we I love Chris Rock. We love Chris Rock here. But I think that's an example of Dave's greatness. Chris Rock is amazing. And that's something even he struggled with executing is the fact that the feel of specials changed. And this is also why back to what I said earlier with the Drake and Dave analogy of shit connecting in a different way. Cause like Dave's um the special that caught on later, the uh, the one he did with Chip, and he's he's in like DC and and all that, and super skinny and wearing the baggy shirt, is like it wasn't a loud special. Like he's obviously getting applause breaks, but it didn't. You know, it was like a lot more. It was subtle. He was taking his time. It felt like because you, you know, and this is like why me and probably a lot of other comedians bombed when we started doing comedy. Is I would do comedy like I was performing for a million fucking people and I wasn't relating to the room the same way. Anyways. It's how you it's how you execute it. And like a LeBron, a Drake, or Jay-Z greatness. Dominating different eras. I think that's really important. Dave has dominated in different era in eras, like I said earlier. And outside of Dave being the guy that has the crown for me, I got to give it like like just to kind of mount like what makes a goat is I got to give it for people that change the way comics and everyday people that consume their words think. Like how I said with Tupac, obviously, earlier, how I said with Jay-Z, obvious earlier. Like Patrice O'Neill and Bill Burr come to mind in that regard. Yeah, they're not Kevin Hart or Jerry Seinfeld or Martin Lawrence or any of them. But it's men walking around with, with, philosoph with philosophies based on their shit. And you can, you can say those guys are idiots or, or losers. That's fine. 
that's another conversation. But they still change in the way grown men think. They are. Even if they are from the lost nigga tribe, even if they are from the never had a good male role model crew, they are assigning their father, their big brothers, the big homies, the consigliaries, you know, whatever. And that means something. That means something for me. That means just as much as specials and arenas, you know, sold out arenas when you can change how motherfuckers kind of like how a select group of everyday motherfuckers stay. And also, if we base GOAT, especially when it comes to like comedy or rap music, but comedy on money or sales or how many people tune into somebody, then why isn't Jay Leno in y'all niggas top five? Because he doesn't resonate with you the same way. And that's what goat shit is. Now, some couple in Kansas that didn't go to bed until his monologue and they see dinner, they see Leno's denim fits and go, oh, he got that trip. Then Leno is goat status for them. To close this out, I'm going to say you're definitely a goat when the people that you are for say you are your people, nerds, freaks, white people in flyover states that will never know shit about how the world works, annoying, boring, venomous, gangbangers, people that need a whiteboard and David Goggins and Gary V every day to not turn into a piece of shit, old black church folk, whoever. That's when you're definitely the GOAT. When the people that you are for say like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you're the GOAT. Like, you're, you're definitely the GOAT. You're really the GOAT when you're for people That you're not for, and they say you're the goat. That's when you're really the fucking goat. When it's like when it's people that probably wouldn't really relate to your shit if you was just a regular motherfucker having a conversation with them. You guys probably wouldn't relate or hit it off. But the way your art communicates, like I said last episode with the, with, with the the problem with having all techies in an artistic uh, community is. When that shit can speak to you, when that when the art speaks louder than the personality or the interviews, you really own some shit. And that's where we're going to leave this. Thank you for tuning in to the Let's Unpack That podcast. I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening. This has been fun, man. I really need to do more pop culture episodes. I try to do something light after like a like a real heavy podcast. Like, damn, Lyle, shit, nigga. Like, you can't do every podcast about white people being evil and shit women need to improve on. Like, be fun, nigga. So you know, man, I appreciate you guys really, really for for coming out. Hope you guys enjoy enjoy your week. I will see you on Friday. We'll see you on Friday. Also, man, also. Before we before we link up on Friday, like I said, uh, you know, be good to yourselves. I mean that. Be good to yourselves. Times are a motherfucker right now. It's really, really important we talk to ourselves like somebody that we want to hang out with. So do that for me. 